Hello, Brad here. Just to say we're super proud that the Friday 5pm podcast is sponsored by the Malt Miller, the UK's best home brew store. We use the Malt Miller for all of our homebrew experiments, as well as tapping them up for advice and binging on their awesome YouTube channel all the time. That's why whenever we release a homebrew video, we put a recipe kit live on the Malt Miller, so you can brew with the exact same amazing ingredients that we did. The same ingredients used by pro brewers. So alongside the Malt Miller's nitro-flushed hops, cold-stored yeast and milled-to-order malts, you can pick up recipe kits for our Five Points Best Bitter, Russian River West Coast IPA, and now the fastest beer in the world, a hazy session IPA that goes from grain to glass in less than 48 hours. Sign up to their newsletter at tinyurl.com forward slash maltmiller to get 5% off your first order. With the Malt Miller's amazing customer service and Johnny's 48-hour recipe, you could order the ingredients on a Monday and be drinking the beer by the weekend. Speaking of which, it's Friday. It's 5pm. So enjoy this week's Friday 5pm podcast. It's Friday, it's 5pm, there should be a beer in your glass, unless you're driving. That's so illegal, it's not even true. Uh, But welcome to the weekend, you made it, and Brad and I are here, about to engage in some utterly ridiculous nonsense, Uh, much like there was in the comments of this week's video, which I've thoroughly enjoyed looking through. I haven't quite had time to reply uh, to everything, but there have been some absolute crackers that we're going to be digging into um, a little bit later in the show. How are you, Brad? I've, I've, I've just talked for 30 seconds with people might even assume you're not there and i'm doing another monologue aha i'm all right i'm here um i just you just made me think about is it illegal to drink uh alcohol free beers while driving if they're alcohol free because it's a beer because all of them have a little bit of alcohol in but then right. that's also true of slightly old orange juice so are you going to get pulled over for that I mean, it's it definitely in America. It's like it's like anything open beer in the cars, like instant badness, right? But if it's in, instant badness, free, I think that's what I think that's the the literal rule that they'll bring out in their notebook. Yeah, you've committed uh, literal badness there. <laughs> <laughs> but alcohol-free beer, Johnny. If it's in a three thirty mil can and it's alcohol-free, is it illegal? Because it's the... I don't know. I don't know. Anyway, you There, there could be a video of you and me driving with, like, oh a God. lucky saint. Oh just, God. uh... Other low-alcohol beers are available. That's just... Oh, right. And then we, we just sort of, like, cruise past police officers and... Yeah. Just sort of, yeah, like, just drive out the window. Just, we could cheers them out of the yeah, window. Yeah, we could. <laughs> <laughs> Go, hello, officers. Cheers. Hope you're having a lovely Friday. We could do a, we could do a Friday 5pm while cruising. No, I don't want to. I don't drink drive, even if it's not alcohol based beer. It's just a bad idea, surely. But maybe, yeah, it's, maybe, it's literal badness. We've established it's that. It's literal yeah. badness. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, um. <laughs> I'm, 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 I'm. You know, I wish I was involved. Do I wish I was involved? I kind of wish I was involved in this week's video because you had a couple of beers there which I've never tried, and one in particular which turned out to be an absolute blinder. Um, which I've always thought had a great brand behind it. So it's well, very... I mean, let let's be careful with the phrase "absolute blinder." Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I yeah. mean, it was it was a good a good lager. You know, yeah. it wasn't it wasn't 
it wasn't half as well i mean in terms of my scores it was very close to being as good as Pilsner Kel, but it wasn't that that's an uh a flaw in my rating system and in my impartiality but it was it was a decent beer in a nice can and the fact that it came top in a blind taste test would would, would make that slightly more objective um but yeah. yeah i was excited to try banquet in high life high life was a complete disappointment yeah it's a shame yeah i always thought miller high life was cool as well but, um, Bradley, bear, bear with me. I'm just going to have to turn off the cooler because uh, oh, it's just the, kicked in. Becoming <laughs> a classic, a classic moment in uh, Friday 5 p.m. Now, okay, the cool, it's the cooler. Uh, what's the thing that people do when they have a, a chat around the cooler in an office? A wa- they, water cooler chat. Water cooler moment. Like a water did you see cooler X-Lactor? moment? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> this is the literal water cooler moment in the podcast. I'm, I'm really enjoying that now, uh, at the end of every podcast, usually at about 6pm on a Friday, we all, I always get a couple of tweets, I've even had emails, a couple of yeah. DMs on Instagram going, turn on the cooler. And sometimes it's genuinely reminded me to turn on the cooler. So, you know, it's funny and it's also practical. So thank you everybody that does it. Is there a way, if the grandfather, uh, is it, can we automate that to, to turn itself back on? Like the, no, the... I mean, it is one tiny flaw, I think, in, in yeah. the, the grandfather. Does. I mean, really, nobody else probably has this issue because nobody else is constantly recording podcasts and videos <laughs> right next to their glycol chiller. Yeah. That's not really, it's not a very sensible setup. So, yeah, I, I say it's a flaw in grandfather's design. I'd say it's more a flaw in the Brudio design than it is in the grandfather. If we were to plug it into a smart plug, that wouldn't help either, right? Because then... It's still it's still on, but you're just like physically switching an off button on. Yeah, yeah. I don't. Have you I seen? I think there's a way we could automate well, this. There I mean... is. There is. There's this little thing, right? Which I think it's called a woodpecker. I've seen it. I don't know if it's on Kickstarter yet. But it's basically. <laughs> I thought you mean the thing that's in the Simpsons where it keeps pressing Y during the that, nuclear breakdown. Mate, <laughs> it looks. It looks like that. So it's it's a tiny little button that is literally like a little woodpecker. So like the Homer thing, but it's automated and you can connect it to like smart things and all these like clever techie bits of software. And it is literally like a finger press and you can you can like get a sticky pad and stick it onto any button that you want. And then it's wirelessly controlled from wherever you are in the world. We could set up an automation that allows if we got we should get a webcam that that is the, the, the like Brudio check sort of like spring watch that watches you in your native environment uh, like you're a small vole or something underground. Um, and anyone in... Uh, only Patreon members can watch it. And then also it gives them the power to actuate the woodpecker uh, to turn back on the cooler. What do you reckon? Easy. I, I don't really know why we need a video... Just because it's link. it's we... invasive and it's fun, right. and it's like <laughs> right, okay. it makes you sort of wildlife, you know. Like yeah. people can genuinely just watch. Do you remember back in the day when webcams were quite new, and people would just put them in amazing sort of locations? And you could there was a website at one point, it almost like chat roulette type thing, but less less penises, and you could click on it. And it would take you to a different webcam around the world in somewhere scenic or somewhere very different. So like it might be downtown L.A. or you might be somewhere in the mountains in the Dolomites or something. And it would just have like 
of almost like a still life vista. No people, just like scenery and stuff. We just do that with you, mate, in the garden, in the Prudio. What do you reckon? No. <laughs> we'll catch your we'll catch your illegal sort of water white making um uh sort of moonshine uh out of hours Bradley, or something you've rumbled me you've rumbled me <laughs> yeah. i mean i'm not making moonshine but i do have an 8.5 percent double ipa currently currently chilling yeah. away i'm going to be packaging it today so it's not moonshine but it's strong it'll it'll put hairs on your chest can we do a series um, regardless of, home- of gender homebrewing called breaking brad which is like really <laughs> really difficult homebrews and we have to wear just like let uh, you loose in the brudio yeah yeah <laughs> trying just, to brew difficult beer yeah breaking brad there you go it's a good name but um, t- i don't i don't want to do it it sounds too hard but yeah <laughs> yeah i mean homebrewing is stressful at the best of times yes it is it's a, it's a very stressful hobby i was talking about this um with my wife actually so she's she loves sewing yeah. And when she, well, I say she loves sewing. When she sews, she's mostly swearing at the sewing machine. And when I homebrew, I'm mostly swearing at the the, uh, the grain father. And then we sort of both sort of finish our hobbies and go like, I don't, I don't really enjoy my hobby. <laughs> it's like oh. it infuriates me. Um, oh, I think we're we're both in it for the results. So, the a, a, would you say there's any point in time when you're brewing that you feel zen or relaxed? Well, I mean, I'll, I'll tell you what. Um, or in the zone because it's like video games and stuff where you just yeah you could while away hours do you ever feel like because i know when i'm homebrewing with you i'm always on edge because i i'm like oh my god this could go wrong at any point and there always seems to be all these moments of jeopardy and like points where it's teetering on the edge This summer, I'm going to be hosting talks at the Manchester, Bristol and London Craft Beer Festivals, giving festival goers the chance to attend tutored tastings, rare beer pours, meet the brewers and even guided tours of the bars. These three festivals are the highlights of my events calendar, featuring some of the world's best breweries with delicious restaurant pop-ups, great music and a really welcoming party atmosphere. It's the third year I've been hosting the We Are Beer Tastings table, but for the first time I'm delighted to offer all of our listeners, viewers and Patreons £5 off a ticket when you use the code CBC5. Just hit the link in the description to buy. See you there. Yeah, I mean, I think, so uh, the two beers that I've got in tank right now, the brew process was pretty zen because there were styles I'd done before. They weren't particularly challenging recipes. I, I had to get a pretty high gravity for the, the double New England, but after the pastry stout debacle, I A, know how to do it much more reliably, and, and B, I'm sort of ready for the challenges. So they were pretty zen. I think I think I've, I've mischaracterized my homebrew experience. When I'm filming for the Craft Beer Channel, we're always doing something wild. And that is incredibly yeah. stressful, especially when you're also filming it. Um, but these two beers, which, which I brewed on my own, they were easy styles. Um, the actual sort of filming of it wasn't that intensive because a lot of the story is sort of around it. It was very zen. It was very easy. It was very nice. And, you know, I, I had a couple of beers and I did some emails and listened to music and, and it was good. It was it was what I'd imagine everybody else experiences when they homebrew. But I just have to keep up in those goddamn stakes. Yeah, of course. I mean, well, you, when you throw in trying to film everything and, you know, or like get the right shots and get close ups and blah, 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 like all this stuff, throwing that into the mix of homebrewing 
on top of the home brewing stress, that that is a recipe for a breakdown, breaking yeah. Brad. But do you, much. do you think that um, Zen home brewing potentially is like quite automated? So so you're at the point where you're using one of those. What's the thing I've got in my garage, which we haven't cracked out yet? We need. I'm gonna make the, the mini out. brew. Yeah, but, it, but it's something like that, that that just does automates everything for you. Is that more? But I mean, than... even that when we when we made that video where we tested it out for the first time, that was still a little bit stressful. I, I guess maybe you know because we were learning how to use it. Maybe once you've got yeah. the knack of it, it is pretty automated. And the grandfather, to be fair, is very automated as well. It is. It is. It, it, I think. Yeah, I think. I think home brewing is quite a zen activity. There's actually lots of breaks. You know, I think that's what people are surprised about when they do their first brew. It's like you mash in and then you wait an hour. You raise it to the boil and then you wait an hour. You started transferring. You wait half an hour. You know, it's sort of hurry up and wait homebrew. Um, the 100%. mash can get pretty frenetic, but otherwise mm. it is a pretty zen hobby to to have, um, particularly when you're at the, the sort of the level that that, that we're at. And um, all, all of those breaks, Johnny, give you a perfect opportunity to consume fridge beers. So maybe not beers that you'd want, you know, one-off beers that are going to blow your head off. Fridge beers. Would you say that any of the beers from this week's video were fridge beer worthy? Okay, that's a link. If you enjoyed that one. Mm. Um, Yeah, well, so, I mean, if you look at the results, the the spreadsheet from that, there were a couple of beers that scored pretty well. I mean, as we've already, already referenced, Cause Banquet is a decent beer. Yeah, yeah. And I was surprised by how, not how good, I was surprised by how pure in its intention cause light was it was compared to all of the other light beers incredibly clean so cause is just kind of killing yeah, it in that I've, I've gained some respect for cause and i've lost some respect for for bud I, I i never even had an opinion on bush but now i know that that beer mm. sucks from, um, from from whence i'm sat johnny i'm looking at a cause neon sign that I bought a boot sale as a teenager that's in my front room. Bright blue. It's not switched on right now, but it's it's in my front room. So it's... Teenage you had taste, apparently. Yeah, there you go. Oh, yeah, I mean, I just... Yeah, yeah. I love, like, brewer, breweriana and all this sort of stuff, so... I've also got a giant, uh, like, 1960s enamel Estella sign in my kitchen from France. That's all in French and stuff, which yeah, I really, I really out. hope that craft breweries. One one little concern I have is is the craft breweries in fifty, sixty years time. Not all of the designs will still be remembered and loved, mm. and you know, even without the context, sort of enjoyed. I think a There's, lot of the designs yeah, of craft beer have been a little bit short term. It is. I think it is quite slightly short termist or a bit too abstract. A lot of them mm. that are so so cool that are like. They, the brand is like an anti-brand and they just splash like beautiful artwork or you know like kind of guest artists and we're sort of like textural tapestries but the actual sort of branding itself isn't iconic and it, there isn't like a sort of masthead that you can kind of look at and go oh that's that's that brand yeah. I guess I guess the only ones that might do things like that in in X amount of years of people like Camden, which have kept it quite sort of um, 
branded and yep. iconic in the typographic sort of setting and stuff but yeah i mean yeah it's an interesting it's, thought to think who's yeah. who's going to be the, the the celebrated brands in 50 years rather than the celebrated breweries yeah mm, mm. um anyway back back to the video so if you haven't seen it yet this week this week's video was me tasting 13 um uh, sorry 12 american macro lagers from around the u.s plus a birra moretti that was snuck in as a as a as a stooge to check my biases and that helped us calibrate the score because i only gave i, I dropped it five points from the previous tasting so i was fe- feeling pretty mean uh, when i filmed it um and yeah blown away by how good calls banquet was how good calls light was and how terrible how absolutely terrible uh bush light was uh mitchellob ultra which i absolutely spanked in the scores you know i feel a little bit bad about that because like chords in its intention it sort of it nailed it it tasted of absolutely nothing and even like i'm slightly annoyed the color of it you can't it's hard to express on camera how pale and insipid that beer looked but it did you know do exactly what it well exactly what it said on the tin uh, but hopefully you enjoyed that video i thought it was great fun we're hoping it will ha- be a little viral success like the other ones have been it's not looking that way at the moment so I don't understand the YouTube algorithm still, but if I did, we well, we'd, we'd make more money than we did. But we had some wonderful comments coming in. Um, part of the joy of these videos is the extra audience that we bring in, uh, which seems to be split pretty much 50-50 between the people that say, like, I wouldn't touch that beer with a barge pole, and the other half going, you're a goddamn snob. Uh, stop being so elitist and hipster and um, other such phrases. Um, <laughs> I just want to thank uh, JS4 Directions, who's come back with the bold snob returns. Love oh. these tastings. Um, he says you sh- we should do one on Canadian lagers, so maybe maybe JS4 Directions can sort us out with those Canadian beers. Um, and again, thank you very much to the the two legends that sorted us out with these ones. Uh, did you have any favourite comments lying around, Bradley? Um, I had a comment. Well, actually, I was going to ask you about... There was, there was like, green apple going on in a few of those beers, which you, you said you thought were it was intentional. I thought that was quite interesting. So to sort of make them taste fresh, they maybe put a kind of... They, they maybe purposefully infect it or whatever to, to, to get that kind of uh, profile. I think I think it's I, I I doubt that they sort of purposefully yeah add acetaldehyde. I think it's probably a it's a, well it's certainly a byproduct of fermentation. It's one that mm. isn't cleared up because they don't actually lager these beers. Although somebody in the comments said one of these is lagered. I don't I don't know which one which one it would be. But yeah, I mean I feel like it might be a bit like diacetyl and Pilsner Raquel. It's like it's been there historically and they've kept it because it's part of the profile and because without any hops, without that lager kind of crispness that you 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 get with a really mature, well well lagered beer, maybe the acetaldehyde does kind of add a freshness to it. But yeah. equally we have to remember that I'm drinking tiny samples of these beers uh with a highly not not to blow my own trumpet, but highly attuned palate because I'm looking deep for these things. Yeah, yeah. So so maybe it's just it's not there in the in the quantities that a drinker would really perceive, but it it might sort of help it along. So yeah, I think you know if they didn't want that acetaldehyde because it definitely was there, they have the ability to get rid of it, and they don't. So it must be it's either there on purpose or it's tolerated. Tolerated, yeah, yeah. And another thing I was thinking about was like, have these all got rice in them? Are they all rice beers? Most of them were corn. 
corn maize. Right, so it's like that high fructose corn syrup sort of shizzle that we don't really well, have a lot of. Uh, depends on the brewery. Some of them, I think it's cores, say they never use high fructose corn syrup. Right. Okay. The rest of them are using, you know, corn syrup, maize extracts, or actual maize in the boil, whatever it is they decide to use and as part of their process. But that would explain why in this tasting and in the first macro tasting, I was picking up corn and people were like oh that's dms and like no it's it's literally corn <laughs> it's the corn it's the corn yeah interesting okay so they're yeah they're kind of they're beer johnny but not as we know it sort of stuff it's kind of really almost sort of like uh, yeah kind of messed about with quite in quite a big way so yeah, there, cheap, there was a line which I think I ended up cutting in the edit in which I said, you know, people talk about pastry beer and say, is this really beer? But yeah. you could say the same for these macro light lagers, you know, it, 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 does this bear any resemblance? It doesn't really bear any resemblance even to sort of Pilsner or Kell, let alone any of the more historical styles that that sort of we had in, in Britain and Germany and Czech Republic and, and, and even America hundreds of years ago. They are wildly different so yeah are they are they really beers i don't know they're certainly not really lagers hmm. uh, but that said i mean we had some comments i think you you picked out a couple brad about how some beers shouldn't have been in there because they were a different style so they weren't macro light lagers they were sort of vienna inspired yeah. which was uh yingling and sam exactly. adams yeah exactly we had from bim bim scutney uh, part of his comment was, I think Sam Adams is completely different beer than the rest of them. Probably shouldn't be, have been included. So, I yeah. Is he saying that it's a Vienna? Because like you just said, that there were two Vienna styles in there. But he, it wasn't a style thing for you, was it? It was macro lagers from from the US. It wasn't like what particular style of lager they were. Yeah, I mean, it, I, didn't, I specifically didn't put light lager tasting. Yeah, it yeah. wasn't style. It was, it was what are the big regional or macro beers drunk in different parts of the states and obviously we didn't we didn't get anywhere near all of them but mm. we got lots of the more famous ones the more available ones uh, our contact who's rattle was was in the new england area so there's a bias towards towards that part of the u.s but yeah it wasn't about the style it was about who are the big players in america yeah and sure. sam, sam adams boston lager is is absolutely huge in yingling although it's uh it's only in three or four states i think it is a giant brewery for that it's you know well over a million barrels um he might have been alluding to the fact that those two fit the definition of craft but they would probably not fit our definitions of craft from from that video that we put together and i wouldn't regard them as craft even though sam adams was was a pretty good beer the yingli was a bit disappointing it was much thinner than i remember it being in pennsylvania when when we were out there filming but yeah i wouldn't regard them as craft and i I would therefore regard them as as macro certainly the volumes that they're producing would imply macro but i think also to some extent the flavors and the intention and the approach would too Mm. i haven't drunk uh pbr in a long time but i used to that would be obviously that's like a dive bar beer classic um incredible branding pbr it's one of my favorite brands um and they do quite a lot of interesting stuff. I followed their Instagram a couple of years ago and they have like they have like an art of PBR thing where people t- turn, you know, cans into sculptures and all sorts of crazy shizzle. But it's it's a well hipster beer. I can remember uh I used to work for Vice magazine sometimes, sort of freelance, um and go to all the sort of vice parties and they'd have PBR at the vice parties 
um, before they started their own beer thing, which is pretty rubbish. Have you ever had their own beer? I can't even remember. No, but it's, it's just it's just a macro beer just made a by ABM, right? Yeah, just yeah, a white-labelled yeah. thing. Yeah, exactly, exactly. But, <clears throat> yeah, I've sort of remember... It, I kind of remember it in terms of, like, it was almost like a gig-style beer that you know like when you go to a gig and they get, they've only got carling or they've only got uh red stripe or whatever it was in that kind of league of stuff that wasn't amazing but you know when it's ice cold it's like oh, okay it's free and it's ice cold so i'm gonna drink it and it's got an awesome label on it so yeah and i mean it was it. it was it was an all right beer you know it tried to be a lager it had malt depth and it had some bitterness it was it had structure to it unlike a lot of the light beers so i I was quite impressed by it i've never been impressed by it before which makes me think that perhaps the american brewed version is is quite a different prospect to to what's sort of contract brewed over here but i don't know that for sure that might be a little experiment i'll get to do one day when i can put them next to each other because in theory these big companies would do blind taste tests to make sure that all their beer tastes within the same parameters all around the world but i don't know how possible um, that is and how regular those tests are done. I'm saddened that the, the Miller High Life, the champagne of beers, wasn't very good because the Lambrini beer, yeah. Yeah, it was yeah. it was it was very average. It was not a lot better than any of the others, whereas cause really like that aroma really mm. stuck out and I'd I'd love to know the recipe for it to see where that aroma is coming from, whether it's it's a specific yeast or a, a specific hop. But it yeah, it was a different different league to the other the- light. The question is, Johnny, when when are we going to brew a, a clone of um, uh, <laughs> Curse Banquet? <laughs> well, when I get the recipe, you know, actually, I'm yeah. going to start start do, start doing some googling uh, after this and see mm. see what if the recipe for Banquet is out there and what makes it uh, so much more sort of aromatic and flavour forward than the than the other beers that I tasted. Um, you- while we're on the, the the topic of blind taste tests, I actually this week I was judging the World Beer Awards. Ooh, which was a lot wow. of fun. I Amazing. was at the the Hilton in Kensington and uh, Kensington High Street. Nice, you know, no expense spared, and tasted. I didn't actually get any lager categories, which is a shame because the World Beer Awards. Um, it has an amazing range of categories, and there was a table that got to do box, doppel box, hella box, doing all the box, and I was on a table. I got pastry stouts, which was interesting. Jeez. Uh, well, sorry, they called them flavored stouts. So some of them were sort of okay. I had two that two from uh china that were oak aged and sour so oak aged sour stouts i can't say anything more than that i can't say what i thought of them because because it was a blind taste test and it was secret but yeah like really interesting uh variety of flavored stouts and i did a, a golden ales section i did an american pale ale section i did an experimental section like so many different uh styles to taste in one day and the palate really took a pounding but it's it's a lot of fun to taste blind because you you really do learn a lot about your palate, a lot about beer, and all of it in an objective surrounding. So I know we sort of do these because these videos because they're very popular, but also I learn huge amounts every time I do it. And at the World Beer Awards, I was also sat next to somebody who runs a company that teaches people about off flavors. So I was learning an absolute ton from everything she was saying. So that was oh, properly awesome. Wow. That sounds yeah. great. I hope they fed you well. What did you eat? They they fed us very well. Surprisingly good. I didn't know whether... I don't think I've stayed in a Hilton for years, but the food was good. I had a veggie lasagna with roasted rosemary potatoes, a delicious salad and broccoli. It was... Hang on. You had a you had a lasagna with potatoes. They double-carbed you. Yeah, they double-carbed me, mate. 
they, that is they must have known sensible. I was coming. Did they yeah. bring table rolls as well? Did they triple carb you? I could have had a table roll, but I thought, you know what? I'm going to stick to two carbs. <laughs> two carbs. You were consuming vast amounts of, well, maybe not vast amounts, but amounts of like pastry stouts and chisel. You're going to get maybe a little bit tipsy. Double, well, car- I mean, double is, carbon it's... is interesting. That's that's very tactical. That's a <laughs> I, tactical I, tell you that I was judging the, the World Beer Awards and you're like, yeah, but what's the carb situation? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, they've been sensible there, haven't they, Johnny? You've got to give them props for that. They've, you know, they're not serving diplomats. <laughs> lasagna and potatoes come on mate they've done that's tactical they've done they double carved you up buddy they don't want any drunk they don't want anyone swinging from those hilton chandeliers none of that i mean have you been to a hilton recently it, it's basically a slightly fancier premier in that's what i mean in my head i was thinking i'm pretty sure they're not that very good but <laughs> you know i was i wanted to be very optimistic about it but i'm pretty sure they're a bit whack yeah there, there were no chandeliers i can assure yeah, you yeah but uh, it was I was I was well looked after. I drank it was about four, I think forty forty five beers I tasted throughout the day over six hours. So nice. the double carb was appreciated, even though it was very small sips. And they provided muffins halfway through, just as the pastry stouts came out. So I was I was I was eating muffins and drinking pastry stout, which you is just, you know, just a Sunday for me. At the same double time, pastry. double carbing. Wow. Oh yeah. Oh this yeah. And then having to have decadence. a cracker to cleanse my palate. Holy cow. Yeah, it was quite the day. Anyway, uh, we are running rapidly out of time, and we've got a question that I want to answer because they've been waiting on it for a little while. Um, so we're, we're gonna we're gonna take this question. It's a great little question from Mark Bailey. Um, so I'll leave it to him. Hey, Brad and Johnny, love the channel, love Friday five PM, and I love the curious stares I get when wearing your merchandise. My question revolves around how we experience beer. Now, it's no secret that the setting in which a beer is consumed can dictate our lasting opinion of the beer itself. For example, if you were to drink a world-class beer in a room full of rowdy, misogynistic lads, it wouldn't be as enjoyable as, say, a mediocre beer drank in a laid-back setting with good friends and good conversation. And related to that is the nostalgia factor. Sometimes we put some not-so-great beers on a pedestal because we drank them way back when in the good old days. But if we were to drink them now with more developed palates, we would probably slap our younger selves. So my question is, what are your nostalgia beers? The beers that looking back and being honest with your inner beer conscience are not so great, but still have the innocent hubris of your prepubescent beer palate. Love and beer. So thank you for that lovely question. And indeed for the the wonderful color that you added. That was uh, well put. Uh, Bradley, do you have a, a a beer that at the time you loved and now is a little bit of a secret shame? Well, still, like uh, today, I'm not wearing it, but my one of my favourite t-shirts and my favourite beer experiences, and used to be one of my favourite beers, was um, Lagunitas IPA. It's Lagunitas IPA, Johnny. Um, it's it's obviously a shadow of its former self. Now they've reformulated it like they have with bloody Dr. Pepper and such. They've, this wasn't for uh, sort of sugar reasons with Lagunitas. This was for corporate uh, uh, whatever reasons. I don't know. It was ABV. Measures, it was ABV in, ABV in Europe. They couldn't sell it at 6. Point, yeah. Was it 6.2? So they dropped yeah, it down weird, to 5.5. Yeah, weird, isn't it? It's like, yeah, Lagunitas was really struggling to sell their IPA before uh, the big boys got involved. So they, they, they thought they had to make it lower i mean like why would you do that it's totally crazy totally well because the the english market won it in pints 
And at 6.2, it was too expensive and too strong for the British market. So they went, well, we'll drop the ABV because people don't really know what Lagunitas IPA is yet in, in Europe. Um, and that didn't seem to work for them because I, I guess they, they kind of ruined the beer. But also, I mean, I can't remember the last time I had Lagunitas, like the full strength one. It's It's been a long time. But by the end of our love of Lagunitas, like after the sale to Heineken, I was already starting to go, I'm not really enjoying this beer because increasingly as you know, hop saturation increased and juiciness increased or even just, you know, really dialed in pine and citrus aromas got got better. It started to feel quite old school in a way that maybe like Pliny and Bell's Too Hearted and these other great beers haven't sort of aged. You know, they've yeah. managed to stay modern, modern classics. Sierra Nevada Pale Ale as well, whereas Lagunitas felt dated in about 2016, 17, the last time I had it. Man, I, I, I sort of, I, don't, I wouldn't say I dream about it, but I certainly reminisce about that that West Coast road trip and visiting uh, their their private sort of back bar with where they had the giant, um, what's those tables called? With the the stupid whatever that game is, I don't know what it is. It's like coits, but sort of giant wooden board. Do you remember that thing? What, what are they called? What are you, talk- <laughs> what are you talking about? <laughs> We went. We went behind the brewery in in the staff bar bit, which had a yeah. great name. But I can't remember. And they had one of those uh, games which you just slide the pucks along. Oh, you mean shuffleboard? Shuffleboard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah. And it was like an awesome little bar, and I just remember it being just. I think it was the original day. tap room, wasn't it? And then it that became like it, an yeah. event space and, and yeah. staff bar. Yeah. It's bloody fantastic. Yeah, it, we, it was a great some... experience, and and yeah, it's a real shame that the that it went the way it went i mm. guess we had i remember we had giant flights as well of everything they made yeah we did like 16 beers didn't we yeah yeah it was good yeah good trip, in right. retrospect should have just had a pint of agony test right yeah. uh yeah my um and th- this includes you brad so back when we were working for for jamie oliver and, and, and going out for pints because jamie stocked this beer in james italian we used to drink and love curious brew pale ale which uh, yeah is incredibly dated now. I mean, I think I think it was Cascade. It was very Sierra Nevada-y, but nowhere near as good as Sierra Nevada. But we used to love it. And they I remember that... even I sent it. I sent it mm. to Tasting Niche, who I don't think makes videos anymore. But we did a little beer exchange, and I sent some going. This is a great pale ale. And I remember she. I think she reviewed it. And was like, it's not a great pale ale. <laughs> and, oh damn! But I think by the time that video actually went live, I was also starting to think actually, yeah, it's not great. Yeah, that's but that a shame, was that would have been twenty. 13 14 was that a case of we used to drink it in 15 and we had a staff discount so it was like real cheap to drink it yeah that was yeah very much so maybe yeah but they they all didn't they have camden on in there as well am i remembering correctly? Uh, like the, had, what, of, of, of other beers i thought they had camden in in the oh in yeah 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 i think they well. did as well yeah. Yeah, yeah and yeah. they started getting in Beavertown as well for a bit because um oh, yeah. the, the bar guy was was, was into his beer hmm um, but yeah, rest rest in peace, um, 15. Uh, the other beer I wanted to talk about as well is because it, it's salient to next week's video, which is our next homebrew adventure, which we've, mm. we've brewed a double New England IPA with the one and only Cloudwater. And so a couple of months ago now, we went up to Cloudwater to film with, with Paul and, and Caitlin, who you might remember from our hot rubbing episode last year, to talk about the recipe and, and put it all together. And as always happens when you talk to Paul Jones of Cloudwater, it's very hard to stay on topic with him. 
<laughs> so what was supposed to be like a five-minute conversation about, about New England double IPA recipes turned into a 45-minute discussion about the cultural impact of the V-series and of double IPAs in general, and indeed Hopfenweissens at one point. And we started talking about Dipper V3, which if you weren't into craft beer at the time or if you're not from the UK, was the kind of the beer that broke New England in the UK. So it made everybody suddenly aware of these new yeasts that were... Uh, producing very hazy, helping to produce very hazy beer that was very stone fruit led, and that stone fruit was coming from the yeast. And we were talking about that, and we said, you know, maybe we could base this recipe on Dipper V3. And he was like, I really, I wouldn't do that. And he showed us the recipe, and I was like, yeah, we're not going to do that because it is so old school. I think it was 100% barley malt, uh, so no oats, no wheat. It was, it had crystal in it. What I want, crystal, maybe amarillo, something else a bit unusual, and it was just not, you know, not at all what we'd associate with a New England beer. But at the time, it blew everybody's mind. We'd never had a beer like this, unless you'd, you know, you've been lucky enough to go to a Treehouse, which I actually had by that point. But mm. I was just blown away by how good this was, and it was being being made in the UK. But nowadays, like, yeah, he said that they get emails every month going, "When are you going to rebrew Dipper V3?" And they reply, we're not, because if we did, nobody would like it. They'd be like, oh, you've messed it up. It's not the beer it used to be. It's like, no, it is, but <laughs> it's not the beer that you remember now that we've we've had it so much better for so many years. It was so good, Johnny, that I kept a bottle of it in my fridge door and I couldn't bear to open it. And then it obviously, you have to drink that shit fresh, so it ruined You kept it for an occasion and then it, it died yeah. on you, hey? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I, I've I got I a garage full of those beers. Oh, yeah. <laughs> It was in there for a long time, far too long, far too long. Couldn't bear to throw it away. But, um, yeah, yeah. I think that, that trip to Lagunitas in the West Coast was the first time I met Paul when we went to Rape Beer. Oh, yeah, because he was over for Best um, Festival. And he was doing yeah, a collab with uh, those guys in, is it Magnolia? No, I can't remember. Magnolia, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was Magnolia, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. In, in, who, in who I think they went under and got bought by somebody else. I'm not really sure what happened oh. to them. But oh, yeah, okay. we had some had some tasty beer uh, there. And yeah, went on a pub crawl with, with Paul Jones. And I think he sneaks into the video occasionally when we did the Where to Drink in San Francisco. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Right. Anyway, that's a 35-minute podcast. It's wonderful cool. to have you back, Bradley. I'm, I'm glad to see that your presence has, has teased out an extra 10 minutes. It's reassuring <laughs> that it's not me that waffles. Um, so, yeah, n- uh, next week we're on the road, aren't we, Bradley? Oh, mate, we haven't even got a chance to, to tell anyone about our road trip adventure. But we're on the road. We're on the road, Johnny. We're going. We, can we tell people whereabouts in the, on the road we're going? Maybe just drop yeah, a few I'd, hints. I'd, but... we, we, we can drop some hints. I don't think we can say what the project no, is yet, no, but we, no. can, we can say where we're going. So we're going to North Norfolk, aren't we? At some point, yep. you know, home of Alan Partridge. We're going up to Burton on Trent at some yep. point, and then I don't know where else we're going, Johnny. Where else are we going? <laughs> I was wondering if uh, we're if talking you know, about yeah. Birmingham, right? We're going to stop over in Birmingham potentially. We're going to stop over in Birmingham yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. as we visit Herefordshire. Yeah, home of the SAS. So, uh, sure, yes. Also home of of hops. Watch out for in, men in the UK, with moustaches. Kent and Hereford. Ripped dudes oh, with well, moustaches. Yeah. I'll let you watch out for that and I'll, I'll focus on filming. So yeah, we're, we're working on a big project next week. We've even got a cameraman who's going to be uh, going to be behind the camera so that you'll have both me and Brad on screen occasionally out and about, which never Crazy. really happens. Are we going to so, coordinate yeah. our outfits, Johnny? Are we wearing the same... Are we wearing 
the same outfit every day for continuity? Or are you wearing various different outfits? Great question. Maybe I'll address that off air because I'm not quite sure. <laughs> we'll have to have a little think about that. I need yeah. to I need to plan some. I need to book us some hotels as well, Bradley. So I've got a busy yeah. afternoon oh. uh, finding out the cause banquet recipe and booking us some hotels. <laughs> so <laughs> so yeah, I'm going to get on with that. But we'll be on the road. Hopefully, there will still be a Friday 5 p.m. Maybe we'll we'll record it on the road. Mm. And yeah, next Wednesday is uh, homebrewing a double New England IPA, which I know a lot of you have been waiting for, and hopefully it's going to be worth it. The beer is smelling utterly unreal so i'm excited about what's gonna what's gonna come our way so yeah until next week until next wednesday and friday have a wonderful weekend drink some uh, delicious beer um and if you know the recipe to banquet drop us an email the bubble and friday 5 p.m podcasts are brought to you by the nerds behind youtube's craft beer channel you can watch over 400 mini documentaries at youtube.com slash channel. And if you love what we do, support us via Patreon and get access to merchandise and our amazing Discord forum, a positive and welcoming space for everyone who loves beer, food and homebrewing. Love and beer. Love and beer.